Winter trees on a north coast headland that drops into Murloch Bay. They ask some mystical questions, the serenity of their gentle sway. And I'm fascinated by the mystery. Did God peer down, then bending? Pencil sketch them in the cloak of darkness or in the distraction of the sun descending. They're so skillfully shaped like dancers, so brilliantly and beautifully bent. And I'm sure there ain't no shortcut, but a long, slow, consistent dent. And what of my life's landscape? Do I stand there the shape of intrigue? Evidence of what can't be seen like these winter trees. I'm loving John. I'm loving having the opportunity over a period of a week to think and read and get myself into the story. And this morning, the story, the part of this wonderful um, gospel according to John that Hannah read, it just, to me this week, came alive with the excitement of what's going on. What we need to remember is that Jesus is up in Jerusalem. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, what's going on in the, the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, as John declares that it is when Jesus makes this utterance um, that we're going to be thinking about today. What happens is that there's a, uh, for seven days there was a procession of priests down to the Pool of Siloam. They would draw water. They would come back up to the temple where the water um, was taken in procession round the altar with everybody singing Psalms 113 to 118, and then the water was poured out at the morning sacrifice. So you can see the vibrancy of what's going on. They're going down to this, um, maybe their traditional route, very much their traditional route. They're going down there and they're, they're getting the, these, this water and they're coming and then they're marching around the altar. There's all this singing going on around them and then the water is poured out. It, I'm told there was all night revelry leading up to this. Presbyterians need to get back to the scriptures for that. I'd love a bit of all-night revelry um, before we came to church every Sunday morning. But on the last day, on the last day, or sorry, let me just put into that, that that revelry and that sense of joy that was happening around this festival um, um, was coming out of Isaiah 12 and 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The Jewish people took that joy pretty seriously. On the seventh day, the last day of the feast, the priests processed around the altar with the water not once, but seven times. Remember marching around? Do you remember Jonathan had us actually doing that around here when we were thinking of Jericho? So all this is happening. All this singing's going on. The revelry's happened the night before. They're marching around. They're pouring out this water when suddenly, when suddenly Jesus stands up in the midst of what is already a vibrant situation and declares this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way. Just as the scripture said, he said this in regard to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me in this way. 
This water ritual, water, as you've picked up in John, we're only at chapter 7, and water has been all around it. We've turned it into wine. We've drawn it with the Samaritan woman. Here we are again. We were um, healing the man that was uh, by the pool, and uh, water is all around it. And, And here, the particular reference is going back to Ezekiel chapter 47. You want to read the first 12 verses of that when you go home. There's this idea that in an eschatological kind of sense, that when the last days come, when the days of the fulfillment of the kingdom are coming, that there will be this water poured out. Rivers of living water will flow across the land. This is the image that Ezekiel gets in chapter 47. It says, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And the water flowed and entered the Dead Sea. When it emptied into the sea, the salty water became fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So there the river flows. Where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. This idea of Ezekiel 40, from Ezekiel 47, this vision of what is going to happen to God, God's people when God comes in his fullness has just been declared in the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles by Jesus. And of course, there's a, a personal side to this as well. David, Psalm 63 and 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Water, again, is this image of spiritual refreshing, spiritual life, spiritual nourishment, and spiritual need. Or, as we sing so often from Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I can go and meet with God. Both of these Psalms go on to speak of meeting God in the temple. God has seen, or David has seen God in the temple. And the the Korah who were writing the Psalm 42, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. It's in the midst of all of this Old Testament imagery, all this Old Testament ritual that Jesus stands up and says, all of this, I'm the fulfillment of it all. Come to me. Come to me. There is a little bit of a exegetical dilemma here because in the, in the midst of this, on the last day of the greatest, let me read it and uh, uh, let me, well, yeah, let me read this part of it. Uh, uh, let me read the two parts. Goodness, I've got it in green and purple here in all kinds of shiny colors, so, uh, so let me do that. In verse 38, whoever believes in me as the scriptures said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So the rivers of living water are flowing through the believers. One of the other translations, because I think of a comma or something in the Greek that's not there in the Greek, uh, could be, uh, let anyone drink who believes in me, as Scripture said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. So there's been great debate. Is the water coming from Jesus or is the water coming from believers of Jesus? And you can debate it all you like, but if you read the rest of the book, it doesn't really seem to matter to me. Because what we find in this Gospel of John, what we have been finding in this Gospel of John, is that God is poured out through Jesus 
end of the believers. God, Jesus, and the Father are one. Jesus becomes one with his people. And so there's this new sense of flow, if you like, from God to Jesus through the believers, end of the world. John 20 and 21, we'll come to it eventually. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So my take on this is, and I don't think this is reading into it or deciding one side or the other of this to be it, is that the Spirit is poured out through Jesus onto us, end of the world. And that would make sense to the vision in Ezekiel 47. That would make sense to the vocation of Israel who were there to be lights to all nations. The idea would be that we would have these living waters in us so that we could be living waters in a world that needs to have their thirst quenched. Of course, the image of this is into arid desert wilderness, which is another image we find in the scriptures. The burning bush, Moses in the desert, Jesus going out into the wilderness. It's there all around this story because of the location of these stories of Jesus and of the Old Testament and New Testament. But what is it within our lives that might make us those people who are a little arid? Where does barrenness come within our own souls? If Jesus this morning comes into Fitzroy and says these words, come to me and drink, as he offers us that, what for you is he offering it into? What for us is he offering offering it into? What is it that we need to take it out into the world to deal with? Is there a little religious aridness? Are we hardened? Is there little freshness? Is it political? Have we got ourselves into a political situation in our country that's arid, hard, nothing's going to seep through? Is it relational? Are you in some relationships that have gone stale? And because of that hardness, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's familiarity. I was struck in our Fitzroy 200 weekend when Ken spoke about familiarity and how familiarity can just seep out our life, our passion, our vitality. It may be relationships that have broken down and caused us to be bitter and hard, hurtful and hard. It may be relationships that have gone stale. We're just going through the motions. That's the other image or the other thing that many commentators talk about in these flowing streams of water that come through the scriptures. They're, they're against this stagnancy. I've said this before that, you know, even worse than the shah. It's just those, I notice, oh, the image comes to me. We were thinking just last week as we're walking down the toolpath. If you're walking down the toolpath just out of the lagging meadows, they've, they've cleared some of the wetland there. And we're trying to work out why, because it looked so but it seemed to me that it had gone stagnant. And maybe for the good of the birds and the wildlife in that area, they've had to clear it to allow the water that we hadn't seen behind any of those trees to flow down through the fields to get into that place. Because if it becomes stagnant and dirty and yeah, it needs to be fresh in some of our relationships with each other, in our families, in our communities, with God, 
Has it gone a little stale? Is it a little arid? In your own personal life, have you just got to a point that it's so familiar and so status quo that you just feel you're like those dirty waters just sitting? What is it? Religious? Political? Relational? Personal? Whatever it is, Jesus comes today and says, come, drink. The Holy Spirit is available to renew, to refresh, to carry. I've been thinking this week because of doing this of rivers, streams, where I've known streams. There's, I've taken myself to different places where I've, I've um, Valley Castle, and my mind goes there an incredible amount. But if you're, if you're looking at the beach in Valley Castle where the river uh, comes down there and just, just at, the, at the very town, every time we go up there, it's cut a different way because the river has shaped it in some different ways. Rivers and streams, they shape the landscape. They change the shape of the landscape. They cut into the landscape. Things, directions can be changed in all kinds of ways. They're full of life. We love it at the time that the fish are jumping in that river. And we stand on the bridge and watch, watch the fish, fish jumping. Of course, when it jumps over there, the next one you hear the plop over there, but at the time you have your eye round, it's gone. And then that one's gone up again. And you're trying to scan the waters because it's got that fullness and vibrancy of living things. There's that sense of carrying water it's beautiful, but it can be dangerous. The current can carry lots of things and wash things out. And it can make fertile. Because if there is no water, there is no green. It's why we're green. Because, as Jonathan said, it's like Noah's story and it rains all the time. But the rivers of Northern Ireland, as they flow through our little land, brings an incredible amount of green, fertile lands that we have farmed down through many, many centuries. So what about us? Are our lives fertile for spiritual growth? Are they open to that? Are they flowing so that it can carry spiritual growth into our lives? Are we being reshaped? Personally, can you look like I can look at that river coming into the sea in Bally Castle and see the changes? Can we look over our lives over the last 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, last year, and see where God and the flowing streams and rivers of the Spirit has reshaped us? Maybe taken us in a direction we never thought years ago. Are we feeling that Spiritual life can be right there around us in Fitzroy. Is it like that vision in Ezekiel? Are the streams flowing? Is there lots of life within it? Are there trees on the sides? Can fishermen come and find the goodness of God in our rivers flowing? What about our country? Is this part of the problem that we're stuck, we're stagnant, there's no reshaping of the landscape? I was struck on Friday night at Stormont as we listened to five people from five, the five, I suppose the main parties. We had uh, 
Chris Little from Alliance. We had uh, Jennifer McCann from Sinn Féin. We had Fergal McKinney um, from SDLP. We had Lee Reynolds from the DUP. And we had Michael Copeland from the UUP. And as they spoke, the amazing thing was the sense of unity that was coming through when you got behind the party logo. So many of them involved in community development. So many of them crossing into different corners of the city, into different sides of the city because of their community and development. And their desire, genuine I really came through for building a better Northern Ireland for everybody. And yet, yet, underneath this, or in front of all this, is this, we say the same things that gets us the vote because the vote's not about those things that they got the opportunity to talk about maybe on Friday night. Tara Mills from the BBC was saying, do you know, we in the media have a lot to blame for this because we need to tell these different stories. We need to get more stories out than that tabloid of their arguing. Neil was saying, when I put this up on Facebook, working on Stormont, he said, yeah, they don't get the good news stories of Stormont. They just get the ones where we fight and we shout and all of that. Is there something within the landscape of our country that needs a new impetus of the spirit and streams of fresh water to cut a different journey. What has drained us? What are the things that drain us? What hardens our souls? Why have we a soulless society? Can we take some of the blame because we, who Jesus has poured out streams of living water into, have not allowed that water to flow from us into those areas of our society that need them? I was drawn this week, and I want to preface it. Yeah, I was drawn this week to to tell the story that I find myself in. Now, what's important as you listen to this is, this is not about me. That's the opposite of what this is about, because I don't like talking about me. This week, at a press launch for Four Corners, on the front page of the Irish Catholic, at City Hall... At Stormont, I guess in all those places, well, not the foreign Irish Catholic, because I didn't know that was going in. I asked myself, what happened here? How did we get here? How is this happening? In the presbytery, I love that word. In the Catholic presbytery, because Father Martin doesn't live in a month, he lives in a presbytery. I love that. And Father Martin's president and then are doing over a coffee. We thought, should we do a couple of events? And we said, yeah, we'll do it. We committed. Very vaguely. No ability to do it. No idea of where it might go. I've quoted this before, but Bob Geldof used this quote a lot in the Livian thing. This may sound too simple, but it is of great consequence. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back is always ineffective. 
Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that at the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. This is Bob Geldof. It's a quote by a mountaineer called W.H. Murray. At the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favour all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, material assistance, which nobody could have dreamt would have come their way. I learned the deep respect of God's couplet, whatever you think you can do or dream, begin it. Because boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. We have watched the guy beside Bobby Sands in prison ask or apologize to someone that took part in an event whose grandfather had been shot by the IRA. This week, we had the first time that a British soldier went into the home of somebody in West Belfast who had had somebody killed by a British soldier. We have seen conversations that we would never have imagined or thought over a cup of coffee. And the only thing we did was just draw a few other people together and say, let's do it. Because when you commit... And I say that because it seems to me that as we get to the end of this chapter that Hannah had, has read for us, that decisions are important. Nicodemus is back in it, and you can tell Nicodemus is, is wavering here. He probably isn't wavering here. He's probably made this commitment, but he's not telling the others he's made this commitment. The guards are saying, but this guy, we think this guy's saying a lot of things, and the religious people are trying to keep it arid and keep it barren. And right in the heart of this, as the readers of John would hear this, they're asking themselves, will we commit to this? Will we come and get this drink? Are we prepared for what might happen in our lives if we just vaguely, because it's got nothing to do with us, it's got nothing to do with our abilities, it's got nothing to do with our resources, it's got nothing to do with our intelligence, it's got nothing to do with our strategies. It is God flowing through us in mysterious ways to change the landscape of the world. Are we thirsty? We spiritually are it. Do we want this vision of Ezekiel that became a reality in Jesus flowing through us into the world? Come. Come to me. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow flow from within them. We're going to go into prayer. And as we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to listen to that poem I read at the start of the sermon and a song after it. If the song is not something you can get your head into lyrically, Use it as an opportunity to ask yourself, where am I barren, arid, hard? Where am I thirsty? 
Am I willing? Where do I need to reshape the landscape? Where do I need to bring refreshment? Where do I need to allow and ask God to commit to him so that he might take us flowing out of these doors into the world that he wants to make fertile and fruitful? We'll pray first and then we'll listen. Let's allow our eyes to fall shut. Lord, we scan the landscapes of our lives and we look for evidence of your Spirit in the intrigue of who we have become and are becoming. We look for the way your Holy Spirit has and is shaping us. We look for the life we carry as your Spirit flows through our souls into the places we move each day. We look for the fruit that you are producing in us and through us. And as we gaze across the scene of such a landscape, we seek your Spirit's critique. May we be honest in our response. Forgive us where we've grown familiar, arid and dry. And then, Lord, help us to look again and see you standing, inviting us to come and drink. May we respond again. May we commit afresh. Lord, give us this water. Give us this drink. Flow through us as the Father sent you, Jesus. Send us. May we commit to be open to where your Spirit flows. May we flow through the landscape of Belfast or Midwest America or wherever we are and move. Use us to be the sources of life where there is no life, sources of love where there is no love, sources of truth where there is no truth. May we be a resource to God who is everywhere. May we be evidence of what we can't see. Use us to create more evidence, Lord. May we be open to the long, slow, consistent dent of your Spirit blowing and flowing through our souls. Make us the shape of intrigue, Lord. Evidence of what can't be seen, Lord. Your Spirit's impact on our lives, on this church's life, and on this city's life. Winter trees in a north coast headland 
that drops into Murloch Bay, asking mystical questions, the serenity of their gentle sway. And I'm fascinated by the mystery. Did God peer down, then bending, pencil sketch them in the cloak of darkness or in the distraction of the sun descending? They're so skillfully shaped like dancers, so brilliantly and beautifully bent. And I'm sure there ain't no shortcut, but a long, slow, consistent dent. And what of my life's landscape? Do I stand there, the shape of intrigue, evidence of what can't be seen, like these winter trees? They're so skillfully shaped like dancers, so brilliantly and beautifully bent. And I'm sure there ain't no shortcut, but a long, slow, consistent dent. And what of my life's landscape? Do I stand there, the shape of intrigue? Evidence of what can't be seen, like these winter trees. On this gentle breeze. To the breeze, listen to your heartbeat. Look into this night, wait until it scares you. Laugh and shout and scream when the stars are all you see. Take this time, be still If you don't, you never will Walk into the next frame Run before you die Don't be afraid of failure And you cry when no one's there Life can seem so Through night and day, I won't let you slip away.
evidence of what can't be seen. In Jesus' name, amen.